0: Welcome to a band with Stan. Episode 55. All right, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome. This is episode number 55 with my dad for part two of gigs. Hi, Stevie, how are we doing? Good. All right. So today we're going to go over not just three gigs. I think there's four, and just rattle through some scenes of the seventies. So the seventies is fondly looked upon now. You were coming of age and moved to London. We're going to start with a gig here in March. What's going on with you in nineteen seventy? We left off in sixty nine, and here we are in the seventies.
1: Yeah, I suppose nineteen. 19- Predominantly, when we were talking about the 60s, I was a kid. I was probably underage going to gigs and all that, but it was a really great time. Seen lots of bands and very small clubs and all that. Um, By 1969, I moved down to to London. So I got a job at Fulton and Masons, and I loved it. And it it kind of changed my life and um, started going to lots of shows. And um, yeah, had a real good time. So, where are you living in March 1970? In March 1970, I just moved into a flat in Finborough Road, which is just off the Fulham Road, uh, just at the back of Chelsea Football Club.
0: So, the first gig we're going to cover is The Faces. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I was a big Faces fan, and I think we alluded it to uh, earlier on in the previous one, talking about going to see the small Faces, and I thought, you know, the Faces were probably even better. You know, I I still think Stevie Marriott was my favourite singer at the time, Um, but as a band, I loved the Faces, and when you went on one of their gigs, it was like going to a party. You couldn't help but have fun. I could have picked any one of the gigs. In 1970, I probably went to five or six Faces gigs. So is this the first one, do you think? Um, Lyceum. Lyceum, yeah, um, in the Strand. The, the Lyceum was one of the places I went to quite a lot, actually. I used to go up there on Monday nights, and it was like a sort of a, a disco night type thing, and it was a very strange venue, huge cavernous place, very plush. It's still there, isn't it? Yeah, red, red carpets. I think they have the Lion King and stuff like that there it's now. A it's a theatre. It's a theatre, but they've got seats in now. Back in the day, it was what, it was like a, a huge
0: ballroom dance floor. So they hadn't even done an album yet. They were just about to release their first album, First Step, yep. and was billed, actually, as the Small Faces in the USA. because it's, yeah. it's a new singer. Yeah, they still called them the Small Faces in the USA.
1: Mm-hmm. And then later on, they started calling them Rod Stewart and The Faces, which uh,
0: the, the rest of The Faces didn't like very much. Mm. It's funny because with me, I listened to The Small Faces and The Mod stuff in the 90s, and then I went to uni and met my mate Monk, and he said in about 2000, similar, just 30 years later, yeah, The Small Faces are right, but The Faces is the real good time band, and I hadn't listened to them really, and so this is my uni band in like 2000 to 2002, so it's like I've got a mirrored life with all this. So, who did you go with? Went
1: with a couple of pals from work at Fortnum and Masons, a couple of guys out of the wine department. We probably had a couple of bottles of wine before we went in there because that's what you did at Faces gigs. So, if you wanted a specific rundown of all the numbers and this, that, and the other, I probably can't remember because yeah. I, I was probably pissed out
0: of my head, as were, of course, the Faces and everybody else in the audience. I imagine this is a heavy drinking gig. If I was to predict the heaviest drinking gig I've ever been to, actually thinking about it, it was probably the Pogues at Brixton Academy in whenever that was, 2005 or something. Because I worked at Guinness at the time and they said we sold the most Guinness in our history tonight. So the Faces is that sort of deal, isn't it? Yeah, it was always messy. And is it girls in the audience as well? Or is it just the blokes band? Because um, they had groupies and that. The the thing with the faces is that the party continued at their hotel, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, So, so I heard. I never went back to their hotel, but yeah, I
1: understand from all the books that I've read since that, uh, yeah, they checked into hotels under the name of Fleetwood Mac and Wrecked Them and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, I would have been fairly loaded at the time because um, we would have probably left Fortnum and Masons and worked our way through Soho up the Strand and into the gig. We wouldn't have gone through Covent Garden because Covent Garden in those days was like a wasteland. You know, like the the Covent Garden, as you know it now, didn't exist. It was just
0: full of old fruit shops. Yeah, and there's that film by um, Hitchcock. Yeah, Frenzy. Yeah, it's at the end of his tenure, isn't it? And he shot it in Covent Garden with just whatever's going on in the background. And there's blokes with wheelbarrows and sacks of spuds and stuff. So it wasn't always like that, was it? That's exactly how it
1: was. And funnily enough, the guys that I probably did go to that gig with were probably my mates Alfie and Mac. And Alfie um, used to run a fruit and veg barrow in Chelsea. And, um, he, you know, like he bought all his fruit and
0: veg out of Covent Garden. Um, so I'm looking at the faces here, they're still pretty young. And you're only 18, is that yeah. right? March nineteen seventy. It's a Sunday. If you're looking for a taste of this gig here with the faces, they've just released an album on Spotify and streaming. It's probably to buy as well, called In the Beginning. So this is a fantastic live album from nineteen seventy and it's got all of the stuff from the time. So at this time they're doing a lot of covers. Love in Vain. Yep. Wicked Messenger by Bob Dylan. Maybe I'm Amazed. Fantastic. They weren't shy of doing covers. They did yep. that. They still obviously had Ronnie Lane in the band and they were at their peak. Yep. I don't want to discuss it. Yeah. Country comfort, which they were had some of Rod songs already in there. I'm losing you, a cover as well, isn't it? So only a few originals, but this is a good gig, especially if you've had a couple of drinks. Really, sometimes the Faces experience is not a morning experience. No, exactly. I mean, even the
1: covers, like uh, I'm losing you, that was like a Temptations. I think it was Temptations. It's certainly a Motown song, mm. and that's the one where um, where Kenny Jones did a b- very long drum solo, and the, all the, the rest of the band went off stage and had another drink and all that. Yeah. It was good times. Yeah.
0: and so uh, let's go through some things that happened in the world around this time so color tv is rising in popularity black and white tv sets are still the most purchased you weren't watching a lot of tv i suppose watching no tv i think i did have a tv but uh it was very rarely switched on because i literally went out every night quality push button telephone had just come about Richard Nixon's the President of the United States. Harold Wilson is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. What is there anything about Harold Wilson that's notable? I don't know anything about him. Uh, Harold Wilson, he was a Labour politician, smoked a pipe, and I think uh, the most
1: memorable thing that he did was give the Beatles MBEs, I think. Oh, nice.
0: 1970, the radio stations are playing hit songs by Elvis, Mungo, Jerry, Diana Ross, Simon and Garfunkel, Jackson 5, The Carpenters. In fashion, the hippie look. From the 60s, still popular. Dye shirts, bell bottoms, you weren't doing any of that though, were you? What was your vibe at this time? Because the faces are a bit, they're not mod, are they? No, it's a they're funny bland. thing. Round about that time, I was a little bit
1: confused because the um, the mod thing had kind of like gone in two directions. It was either going um, all sort of platform shoes and, you know, like, like the faces used to dress. Mm. Um, you know completely way out stuff or there was the sort of like the tough mod type look which was a bit more of a a suede head you know i was never a skinhead but i suppose you could say that i was um suede head type thing where there was the ivy league kind of clothes that you would get from the squire shop and places
0: like that the hair's a bit longer on everyone in 1970
1: yeah everybody had their hair longer
0: so, the number one on the date of this gig, March 1970, was Love Grows by Edison Lighthouse. I don't know anything about them. What's that, is that crap?
1: It's a completely rubbish song. Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes, or something like that. Absolutely terrible song. <laughs> I did find that round about that time, some of the music was starting to get really crap. Mm. The singles w- were getting worse and worse, but the albums started getting better and better, and like 1971 was a fantastic year for albums. Maybe the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, because our next gig after 73, so 71, a lot of people say, is the best year. Have you got a top three albums from that year, just to reel off? Or, or... Um, Well, I read a book about it, David Hepworth's, Book
1: 1971. If you look at the albums that came out that year, I think there was Who's Next by the Who. There was What's Going On, which is one of my favourite ones ever. Yeah. There was Tapestry by carol King. Mm. There was Blue by uh, Joni Mitchell, and you know about another ten that I can think of. And at the same time, there were some great films out as well: French Connection and a few others. And was there
0: Imagine? Is that 71 or is that 70? It it might well have been, actually, yeah. All right, let's move on to a very famous gig, David Bowie. Now, I've had an interesting journey with this today. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. I'm not a Bowie... Uh, bookworm, so I'm not going to come flying out with loads of facts here, and I've even got this wrong because if if you Google it, you'll see that July 3rd, 1973, a Tuesday, is classed as the last gig of Ziggy Stardust. But in fact, what we're going to look at is the 27th of October at the Marquee, which was filmed for TV, and that's the gig you were at. Is this the only time you've seen Bowie? No, I saw him
1: again later on as part of a... um a tour or you know one of these things at Wembley Stadium or whatever I can't remember what it was but yeah it was pretty much the only time I saw him I went to the marquee two or three times a week um I was a regular there so you just happened to be there you're not really no um
0: well you did I
1: I was given tickets I used to know the the governor quite well a guy called Jack Barry and he's he said "Do do you want tickets for David Bowie next week there's a TV special thing getting done I said, yeah, of course, yeah. So I went there with a mate of mine called Aussie John. He was obviously, like, from Australia. He was
0: somebody who was backpacking through Europe. Good night. Oh, So that was going on then, because that's a big thing in the 2000s here, Australians and Kiwis and that, coming here, backpacking. We, yeah, around about that
1: time, they used to call Earl's Court
0: Kangaroo Valley because it's absolutely
1: full of Aussies, you know, and so we used to go to quite a lot of Aussie parties around there.
0: Yeah, they party on a Sunday, don't they? Quite a lot of Australians. Well, the ones I knew partied pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah. And is he alive in that Aussie yeah, he John? He's back, in, uh, he's back in Australia now. Are you in touch with him? Or maybe we'll send him this.
1: Yeah, well, maybe we will, yeah. Because I met up with him um, maybe five or six years ago. We went and had a few drinks down the King's Road.
0: Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah,
1: so he's still alive and kicking.
0: So you and him went. You weren't at the one on July 3rd at Hammersmith. This, no. is, this is the marquee on Wardour Street, and so this is filmed for a movie, and obviously, looking at it, there's two things. Well, you've written a forward in a book here, haven't you, about this gig? There was a thing written by Terry Neal, who I followed on Twitter,
1: a very famous photographer, used to do lots of pictures of Frank Sinatra and all of that, and he was doing a, um, a book on the subject, this last gig, and it, he just put it out there, you know get in touch if um if you were there and i was there so i got in touch and um i got interviewed for it and a lot of the things that was done on the interview went as a contribution for the book basically it was like i say it was a film for tv thing it was done over two days but the the first day i went there and and it was uh yeah it was quite an interesting gig an ex-art student from Brixton, whose dad worked for Dr. Badardo's homes, has turned himself into a bizarre, self-constructed freak. Impromptu, isn't it? It is a sign of our times that a man with a painted face and carefully adjusted lipstick should inspire adoration from an audience of girls aged between 14 and 20. Six months ago, Bowie was unknown to the general public. Today, this 26 year old man earns about half a million pounds a year. He can afford a personal makeup artist to coat his nails in silver.
0: So, this is an early gig for counterculture, cross dressing. LGBTQ stuff is that right it's a big night in music history isn't it well yeah I mean you walk in and it's a bit like
1: I mean subsequently it turned out to be the case and of course it was I was a regular in the marquee and usually the marquee was full of hairy people getting drunk and all that having a good time this was like a almost like a society thing where that there was all these like film stars like Britt Eklund and and all of these various weirdos and freaks were there, like a cross dresser called Jane County or something, and various people like that. so I felt a little bit fish out of water because it wasn 't necessarily my scene, but um uh, we we went into the show quite early because I wanted to see the trogs because I was a big trogs fan, you know, and they
0: they went through all their hits, wild Thing, and all that kind of thing. Mm. So Bowie's dying his hair reddish-brown and he's got the backing band, with a class of Spiders from Mars, with Ronson, Boulder and Woodmansey. So this is the end of that persona, which maybe he did, I don't know, to sort of, he's a bit of a performer, isn't he? I've got here that Bowie's love of acting led to his immersion in this character and he created the music as an offshoot of that.
1: I, I, I'm very much a character when I go on stage, I feel. I mean, I, I... Like an actor? Yeah, I believe in my part all the way down the line, right the way down... But I do play it for all it's worth because that's the way I do my stage singing. That's that's part of what Bowie's supposedly all about. I'm I'm an actor.
0: I mean, it's quite interesting performance stuff that he's come up with that himself. So were you impressed with the gig? Well, there's no
1: question that Mick Ronson was a fantastic guitar player and it was a proper show. You know, it wasn't... um, you know i find it, found it a little bit strange back in 1970 it wasn't like things are now where the full lgbt thing is all very well accepted and you know, it's i a just freak thought, show. yeah i just thought it was a little bit strange the funny thing is, is that uh, you know going back to that book which i contributed to i went to the launch of that in um, waterstones uh, up in um, piccadilly a couple of years ago and um I was describing it, and when I uh, said to the the audience sort of real Bowie freaks and fanatics that I wasn't necessarily a, the biggest Bowie fan in the world, it was almost like they all turned around and like the, Wild you know, West saloon. Yeah, it was yeah. like, <laughs> like it, it, laser beam
0: eyes ready to shoot me down, you know. But uh... I like his actual what he regards as his Phil Collins phase in the '80s, where he did. Let's dance and um, like Rebel, that. Rebel, and all that. I think that's yeah. late 70s. So and I thought, thought
1: Suffrage City was pretty good,
0: you know. But listening to this album on the way here, I thought it sounded all right, really. So it's, yeah. it's um, I mean, he's just died and he's huge, isn't he? And like it was just been Bob Dylan's birthday. And I looked through my things, I was doing a Bob Dylan post, and there's a load of Bowie emojis, but there's no Dylan emoji. And I do think Dylan is way more significant musician songwriter cultural icon to me yeah i would agree with that did you see dylan in the 70s
1: yes i did it was um Black, in england <laughs> yeah blackbush or something like that it was
0: some it was a big gig anyway would that be because i've been listening to this album called street legal from 78 and he's got a sax and girls singing so it's a bit springsteen-ish street right. Legal's kind of my favorite and then bef- he did the rolling thunder review which i like as well he's painted white faces at that tour do you remember and he did hard rain and Oh yeah, it probably was that one, yeah. And he was a bit I don't know if he was on something, but yeah, I, I love all that, the, the the rolling thunder, so that was in London, was it? Well Blackbush, it was an it it was a old airport. In a world of steel man, I men who are to be I mean she said I'll give you to so that's bowie and let's just see what was going on in the world here the watergate hearings are happening 18th of may 1973 the senate watergate committee carries out a number of televised hearings were you bothered about this
1: no not really was, was anyone not really no it was uh, yeah american politics so there was plenty going on in the uk at the time i think you, you know there was things like um Minor strikes and IRA bombs going off in London, I think, that was round about that same sort of time. And are you still at Fortnum & Mason's in 73? Um, I may possibly just about been leaving Fortnum and & Mason's and I started managing a shop in Old Compton Street in Soho, oh, which was even more colourful, actually, than it was Fortnum & Mason's. So the, um, the good times were continuing.
0: Yeah, and you're about 21. Yeah. And is this, what sort of shop is it? It's a
1: delicatessen. When I took it over, it was a, a grocer's shop selling crap food, <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. And I'd brought the Fortnum & Mason vibe in there. So we sold expensive food, really expensive, and it kind of worked, you know, did well.
0: Yeah, Emily still gets the coffee from Algerian Coffee Company. I think that was there in the 70s. Just round the corner. That was in, um, in Frith Street, just yeah. next door to Bar Italia. And for international listeners, you know, if you come to London, Soho's where the energy is, which is like New York, Tokyo. It's a real, it's a unique thing, isn't it? Old Compton Street there.
1: I was absolutely blessed because, you know, when when I left Fortnum and Mason's, and again, I just applied for a job through the Evening Standard, I think it was, you know, grocery manager required. I didn't know where it was going to be. And turned up for the interview and it's 34 Old Compton Street and it is bang in the heart of everything you know it it couldn't have been a better place to work everything was going on you know it was slightly seedy it was had a, a bit of a dangerous vibe about it it was colorful it was in the heart of fashion it was in the heart of restaurant land and it was in the heart of music land you know so it was a wonderful place
0: and i was there working in that place for about 4 years mm if you fire up the app singing streets which you covered with worth in the previous episode if you do that on old compton street so there's a lot of stuff i know that you know people like cliff richard and um the pedo were discovered there <laughs> but um it's not a, it's not a pedo central but uh gary glitter you know there was a club there wasn't there on old compton street you know where the it's chip- now a chip shop Yeah, the Two Eyes, the Two Eyes coffee bar.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that was supposed to be the heart of like rock and roll and that's where all the people like Marty Wilde and all that, Tommy Steele, started out in the 50s, yeah. So it's not just known as a a nonce place. (laughs) (laughs) No, Going to Pizza Express in Woking is an unusual thing for me to do.
0: 1973, radio stations at this time are playing The Stones, Elton John, Carly Simon, Marvin Gaye. Not too bad, you know? Okay. So we're going to go into 1975, which is huge here. We've got two gigs for you in 1975. Legendary gig here, Bob Marley and the Wailers. The Lyceum, 17th and 18th of July, two shows. You were at the 17th, the Thursday, again at the Lyceum. So what's going on with you firstly in 1975 that you can remember? July, the summer of 75. Still working in
1: uh, Lorenzo's, that's the Delicatessen in Soho. It was a very, very strange gig in many respects because it was um, maybe the very first crossover type gig where white people were going in to see a reggae artist and the white people weren't skinheads. Reggae, up till then... ...had been a bit of sort of like skinhead music... ...and it had also been a little bit of a joke as well... ...there would all been these novelty records... ...like Big Five and um, Ten Commandments... ...which were a little bit saucy... ...or you would get... ...the first reggae record was Millie and My Boy Lollipop... ...but this was a huge departure from that... ...because Bob Marley was a proper musician... ...he had very good backing singers... ...he had like electric guitars and he was a hell of a performer, and he wrote great songs. So were you a fan anyway? I wasn't a huge fan. You know, as I've done throughout most of my life, whenever there is a big show on, I look to go and see it, even if I haven't got any of the albums, etc. I'll go and check it out. The audience for this was pretty much 50-50 between white people, you know, like long-haired rock fans, and like rusters,
0: you know. So it was 50-50 black and white. And had you been to a gig like that?
1: It's yes. not the
0: same as the Stack stuff, is it? No, it's I reggae. mean,
1: yeah, the, the Stack stuff was full of mods in the early days. Maybe a few years earlier, I went to see James Brown at the Hammersmith Odeon, and that was predominantly black. Um, Did you see James Brown? I saw James Brown, yeah, that was... How was that? I've seen him twice. I saw him once at the Hammersmith Odeon, and then some years later I saw him at the uh, Wembley Arena. Wembley Arena, he was terrible, he was past his best. It was around about the time he was doing Living in America. 80s. Yeah, and I, in fact, I think he, he sang Living in America at least twice. You know, he was just kind of... Di- in London. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was dialing it in, really. But the first time I saw him, yeah, he was pretty... Fantastic.
0: James Brown's great music, positive music in it for running and uh, just getting up in the morning go, you know. Yeah. I've said this on this podcast before, I think, but I had the opportunity to see James Brown and I didn't. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was V2000. Right. And I went to see All Saints instead, the girl <laughs> band, cuz I was wanted to see, you know, All Saints. <laughs> and that's a mistake. The, the Hammersmith Odeon,
1: there's so many gigs that I could possibly have chosen. It's not an ideal venue, you know. There are far better venues than that. I think, like the Shepherd's Bush Empire and the Forum. There've just been some really great shows there. You know, yeah. I can't remember if it was '75 or earlier than that. I saw i can Tina Turner with the Icats. Mm-hmm. and that was fantastic as well. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, hey. Your minds feel good to- I mean, for me, Tina Turner, she became this huge superstar filling out stadiums, but she was never better than when she was with Ike Turner, you know. Yeah, okay. And the Iquettes. Yeah, they were just unreal.
0: P.P. Like P. Arnold and... Yeah, yeah. And, and the show was just completely off the scale. Yeah. So, Bob Marley and the Wailers, this is huge because this is the gig of No Woman, No Cry. And I've listened to a bit of it on the way here again, and it's a great gig
1: it was absolutely wonderful Mm. um the unity you know i said earlier it was half white half black there was absolutely no bad vibes so the music made it a
0: good atmosphere as well oh yeah Mm. the whole place was this complete fug of ganja you know that's what i was going to ask you so obviously you can smoke inside and it was all weed yeah yeah eventually funnily enough um later in the gig
1: i never realized this but you, you know you can check it out they, they actually had something in the roof where you could actually open the roof up a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And and they just did that till because it was in the summer. It was boiling hot and it was full of conscious <laughs> smoke. Mm. You know, I didn't smoke any of it, but I was high as a kite from just breathing. Yeah. Um And they opened up this thing in the roof for uh, some of the... the the smoke to get out and it was so packed that there were actually some people on the roof you could see them Mm. like looking in you know and we're talking about a very very high ceiling i think that night as well there was a load of people crashed in You, you got in for nothing I think that one of the doors was less, left open. So it was over, over capacity. And about a 1,000 people ran in and all that. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of them. I paid for my ticket. but. Um...
0: And where were you? Were you near the front or on the left, like we always say? Or No, I was sort of like on a...
1: Th- there was a, a balcony, um, mm-hmm. y- you know, like in old-style theatres and all that. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a good place to be because I was right at the front of the balcony, so I had a pretty good view. If you listen to the songs like No Woman No Cry Mm. everybody was kind of singing along with it and the funny thing is they were singing it sort of like they do in football songs sometimes it's a little bit out of kilter Mm. but it actually enhanced the sound of that song And yeah, I I think that's probably one of the best
0: live songs ever made. Just great. That's a great memory, isn't it? And so nobody knew the song or did they? Because it hadn't been out. That's the version, the live version. Was it already known then, the song? Yeah, it was on the, was it Natty Dread LP? I think it had come out, but yeah, everybody was singing it at the gig. So they must have known it. So, you know, that's one of the things on this day, July 17th, 1975, Bob Marley records the live version, of No Woman No Cry at the Lyceum in London. Right. So Marley's about 30 here. He only lived for another six years. Yeah. Did you know that he was this sort of, that he was going to be this legendary, this guy? Or do you think he was just another reggae act? No, you, you you kind of thought it at the time because he just, like, appeared from nowhere, really.
1: Uh, or in my universe, he just appeared from nowhere. Mm. But it was a really good show I remember him running on stage. You know, he'd do that running on the spot thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And he sort of like ran with these high knee kicks and onto the
0: stage and just blasted it. You know, it was a great show. So he's introduced at the beginning of the gig by, I don't know who's introducing him, but he says, free Desmond Trotter. Do you remember that?
1: This here says, free Desmond Trotter, sentenced to hang in Dominica for defending Rastafari
0: yeah what was that about free desmond trotter he's going to, i want to shed a light on this free desmond Trotter. If you listen to the live album here of that night bob marley live at the lyceum he
1: was very political though wasn't he yeah
0: yeah so i don't know who desmond trotter was
1: and we, we don't know if he got freed yeah maybe he was rodney trotter's dad yeah yeah trig why'd you call me dave my name's not dave
0: my name's rodney I thought it was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look at what was going on in the summer of 1975. So number one in the United States is Listen to What the Man Said by Wings. Do you know yeah. about that? Okay, um, I remember the song. It was OK-ish. And United Kingdom, Give a Little Love by the Bay City Rollers.
1: Yeah. And that is where I think that's where the problems were starting (laughs) because a lot of music was starting to get really shit.
0: Really Eurovision-y.
1: Yeah, it was on the turn, you know, like we're highlighting great gigs and all that, Um, but they were starting to get fewer and far between, you know, like the Beatles had gone. There was all this progressive prog rock shite, you know, some real terrible music from my perspective was taking over all these dreary long albums you know and um
0: and the singles charts were full of like teeny bob stuff Mm. and so we're transitioning into disco Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of blaxploitation stuff what were you listening to in the evening and that was it still like the faces or the who and stuff or was it i'm more diverse now a bit of everything but i would started going to clubs a lot more
1: then you know it was um where i'd be listening to sort of like tamla motown and all that um so i'd be going to clubs there where there was a bit of dancing and all that It was probably around about then when i met your mum you know so um, i met her in the marquee funnily enough but we didn't start going out until a little bit round about that time 75 i think um and that would have been down the King's Road because I was still living down the King's Road at that time
0: you met her in the marquee from Bowie the Wardour Street one 90 Wardour Street it was the Wardour Street club yeah i think it's now residential 90 Wardour Street but anyone wanting a close experience at the 100 Wardour Street now that venues are open is in the basement they have live music there and they have stuff like this they have motown and all that. it's a good bar Notable events that happened around this gig, July 17th, 1975. The Birmingham Six are sentenced to life in prison. So you've kind of mentioned the IRA thing in culture here.
1: Yeah, well, the, there was, it, you know, it was a sort of a fairly lively time. I'd never let it get to me too much. But, the, you know, I was on the King's Road one night when um, they did bomb Chelsea Barracks. And so that was a little bit hairy. I mean, I wasn't caught up in it. But you knew that the bombs were going off. And,
0: um, yeah, it was a little bit dodgy. All right, we're moving on to some fella now called Bruce Springsteen.
1: November 18th, 1975,
0: a Tuesday, his debut in Europe. Before we go into that, what's happening now in November 75, anything different, still working in a deli and living in Earl's Court? Uh, I'm still working in a deli, but I'm now living in 101
1: Melbourne Road, which is in Maida Vale, sort of Kilburnish type way.
0: Yeah, that's near where I am now, and yeah. it's kind of, so you're in the pub rock, uh, Joe Strummer era, uh, shooting pool with Joe Strummer and that, and it's a lot changed in 75 that you remember, you'd met mum and stuff and... Why did you move, actually?
1: Um, I think we had a dispute over the rent because I hadn't been paying it for quite some time. Right, right. You know, I mean, it sounds great that I was in a flat just off the Fulham Road, but it was a kazi, frankly. Well, it was my brother. He, he said, look, I've got this flat up in Malvern Road in uh, Maida Vale. Do you want to come along? And I resisted it because, for me, it was almost like going out into the suburbs. know, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't realise that it was still sort of like pretty much central... London and all of that. Uh, So I slept on a few floors for a while around Earl's Court and Fulham. And then I decided, yeah, okay, I I will come along. And uh, yeah, it was a good place to live for a while.
0: Mm. All right, so how do we start with this one? So Springsteen, both huge fans. This is a legendary gig as well. So Hammersmith Apollo, well, Hammersmith Odeon, then Apollo, now Aventum Apollo. It's a Tuesday night. How did you hear about this gig and how did you get in? Uh, Just by... Uh, the the adverts, and there was an an awful lot of advertising going on
1: for about six months in advance of the gig. Really? In fact, too much, you know. Six
0: months, yeah. Springsteen has been an underground cult figure, a legend, a dreamer, a prisoner of rock and roll.
1: Again, I, up till that point, had not been a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. He'd done these couple of albums, which I thought were very wordy, Um, What was it?
0: Greetings to Mansbury Park and the wild, innocent Um, East Street Shuffle. Even the titles are wordy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I thought there was a little bit too much going on. I thought there was some good stuff on there like Sandy the 4th of July, but I wasn't completely sold on it. There was a big propaganda campaign saying, at last London is ready for Bruce Springsteen and all of that. But I had heard the new album, Born to Run, Mm. and I thought, this sounds pretty good and like I always did I thought well let's get tickets and go for it I was very lucky in those days because um I actually knew a guy well I knew a bunch of guys that were ticket touts and um a lot of people think that they're the scum of the earth but this guy every time I went to Hammersmith Odin he'd be standing outside and if I had a really bad ticket he'd swap it over from it for a good one for me you know so um mm. big up for the the ticket tout does he still do that um, I don't know. I know that his brother did it for a while and I think he's um, he, he took it to a different level where he started conning people out of loads of money. Um, and, <laughs> well, it's uh, still
0: obviously a big business. That, I, think, I
1: think he's inside now. And, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is capitalism, isn't it? It's kind of like... You know, risk and reward. It's you the know? same as selling the T-shirts outside. Yeah. And sometimes I've bought gig T-shirts outside that are better than the ones inside. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that touts
1: who um self um forge tickets etc the scum of the earth but <laughs> yeah. it, if for example it's just a bit of supply and demand and they are running the risk of uh getting loaded w- left with a load of tickets on their hand well that's uh you know that's rock and roll isn't it
0: so you didn't get a ticket off a tout you went in anyway and you didn't swap it or was it seat or standing
1: it was sitting it was all was it really it was all sitting yeah it was very rare in those days that the seats down below would come out because he's playing
0: detroit medley and all that dance numbers yeah yeah seated yeah it was all seated one two Was one of the guys that went to that gig with a little bit of okay, mate, show me what you've got. And I think everyone did. I'm just reading here Michael Palin was in attendance, devoted an entire diary on that date, November 18th, to the concert and oh, first yeah. impressions. I think everyone was like that. Yeah. You know, the Hammersmith Odeon, there have
1: always been a few heckly type people, you know, like, you know, calling out for their favourites and all that sort of stuff. And there was a little bit of that going on. And unfortunately you know quite a lot of that campaign around at last london is ready for bruce springsteen it irritated people and i understand it irritated bruce as well and he tried to rip down a load of the yeah posters he's pulling and pulling it down. All that. yeah so um and i thought that the band as well looked a little bit strange you know like when they turned up most of them were wearing like fedora hats yeah they look like they're in scarface and yeah and and big flowers on in their lapels and all that. And Bruce was completely the opposite in that he looked like some sort of a street urchin with this bloody great big irritating woolly hat on his head which he kept fiddling around with. I think he was
0: massively nervous.
1: Yeah, maybe. Because he's, he's a British invasion guy. Yeah, but it was a very good gig. There, there was there was some of the, the songs that I thought that meandered on a little bit but some of them were a knockout. And I think that the... Um, The version of Thunder Road, which I think you can still get, you know, you can hear live versions of it, was just about the best one that he ever did. I became a fan that night, but I didn't sort of like become the full on fan really until the next tour in our next thrilling installment in 1981.
0: Yeah. So next installment, we're going to do the 80s and 90s. Uh, We'll see how that goes, because 80s. I don't know. Uh, 90s was good, wasn't it? But you're now a dad in the 90s and it's different. So we might as well yeah. lump all that together. And I was with you at my first ever gig, Bruce Springsteen at Sheffield Arena, was it? 1987? Bramble Lane, actually. It was the football yeah. ground. It was Tunnel of Love Tour, wasn't it? You were yeah. eight. Yeah. So Bruce is a big thing. Yeah. I, sh- I should say, actually, I'm very grateful for you introducing me to Bruce. It's a huge thing in my life, you know? I'm a fan. Mm. This gig was okay, wasn't it? It's not, it's not your best gig of the 70s, is it? Uh, No, no, I I would... um, What is, yeah, can you think of what that might be? The best one of the
1: 70s. Or a top three. Do you know what? It was probably going to be some absolute rip-it-up gig in a pub by somebody like Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. The pub rock thing was starting to come in. Mm. Um, And I'd got a little bit fed up of these big arenas and all that sort of thing. And, um, Mm. you know, I was starting to gravitate more back to the pubs again. What are the
0: worst gigs of the 70s here? Can you think of any way you walked out or were just complete shite? I did go to the 1970 Isle of Wight Festival. yeah. Um,
1: And now a lot of people would have said, oh, right, put that on your list because it had everybody on it. It had the Who... It had Jimi Hendrix, it had The Doors, it had Joni Mitchell, all of these people. But the whole thing was a complete and utter mess. You know, there was, I don't know, about 600,000 people there. Hell's Angels beating people up. The weather wasn't great. You got a boat there, obviously. Yeah, you had to get the ferry over How there. was that in 1970? Well, it was just, it was just like going to war. You know, that the whole thing was just fully attritional. Going to Narm. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, I remember seeing two of my favourite bands, Taste and Free, um, and they actually, the who were good as well, uh, but the rest of them, you, you know, like the sound was bad, and you, you know, it's like I said to you before about that legendary Rolling Stones Hyde Park gig. They may be legendary in that they took place and a lot of people went there and they were big events, but I don't mean to say they were any good. Mm. And
0: that, yeah, that 1970 Isle of Wight thing, it wasn't very good. Mm. I went to the Isle of Wight in the 2000s as well, and it was okay. Once sat next to, well, I was talking to my mate about comparing Jimmy Page and um, Jimi Hendrix. And next to me and walked past me to the side of the boat was John Squire. And he probably thought, who the hell's that twat going (laughs) on about (laughs) Jimi Hendrix? That's what I remember from being on the boat to the Isle of Wight. All right, so let's just go briefly into some facts around the time. The number one in the United States is That's The Way I Like It by Casey and the Sunshine Band. I'm seeing a pattern here of the US number one being better than the British one. But the United Kingdom was divorced by Billy Connolly. Do you remember that? Yeah. Is that rubbish?
1: Yeah, you see, this is, this is the problem. There was uh, We
0: had novelty stuff at that time. Not
1: novelty things. It's like Ernie the Fastest Milkman in the West and all that kind of stuff. There was all these rubbish, you, you know, D-I-V-O-R-C-E.
0: It was a novelty song, yeah, it was... Billy taking the piss out of Tammy Wynette. But he was a funny guy. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's... uh Yeah, but there's lots of crap. Disco's coming in. Colour television is surpassing black and white television for the first time. Cassettes are coming out. But you're still buying vinyl well into the 80s, right? Yeah. You didn't do cassettes, did you? Uh, yeah, I did. But primarily cassettes were what people used in the
1: car. I mean... Oh, yeah. well, when I was having my big old parties in Malvern Road and all of that, it was vinyl records, as you've seen, you know, by the state of some of them scratched to pieces, etc. Where I was in Malvern Road, it was absolutely in the middle of pub rock land, and um, the local pub was the Chippenham, which was like a, an absolutely crazy Wild West saloon. And it was predominantly Irish and Jamaican. There was fights in there occasionally, but people weren't all that bothered. You know, they'd just carry on drinking. It's just closed, isn't it? I I was in there a few times. Yeah, it was a beautiful pub. Lots of marble and mirrors and all of that. Yeah, it's a nice pub. You know, you mentioned earlier a bit of name-dropping and all that about Joe Strummer. I did meet him in there a few times and, you know, I knew him as Woody. That was his name. You know, I didn't know him as Joe Strummer. I think that persona came a little bit later. He used to drink in the Chippenham because he lived, funnily enough, in 101 Walterton Road, which was just on the other side of the, the road from the Chippenham. And I used to see him particularly in Dr. Feelgood gigs because I'd go and see Dr. Feelgood at like the Windsor Castle or various other places like Dingwall's Dance Hall and places like that.
0: Yeah, so February 75 at the Chippenham, the 101, as I've got as a note here. So it's a natural transition to just seeing bands at the end of your road. Elvis Costello's around, Dr Feelgood. So it just happened and you were there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Jury as well, it'd be like Kilburn and the High Roads
1: and bands like that. But a pub like uh, the Windsor Castle, for example... That was, it was a little bit of a throwback to the, the days I told you about in the 60s where you'd just go and then you'd see whatever band turned up. Mm. And because it was like my local pub, well, the Chippenham was the closest and then the Windsor Castle was another 200 yards up the road, you might see a very good soul band like Kokomo and then you'd see like a jazz funk group like the Morrissey Mullen Band. And then you see like Dr. Feelgood, Kilburn and the High Roads, Reckless
0: Eric, people like that. So is it fair to say, a bit like the last 10 years for me, that the pubs and the small venues have got more interest in stuff. And then there's these huge PR campaigns for filling arenas and seeing Genesis or yeah, yeah. Bruce Springsteen or Bowie or the Stones. And you just gravitate because it's less hassle, isn't it, to go to these, go to these big venues yes yeah, let's hassle
1: and of course the other thing is is that um a lot of the people that were playing these big shows they weren't really putting on a show you know that's indulgent
0: yeah they, even they, humble pie and that wasn't it and all yeah, they it, were, it, yeah
1: it'd be long hair head down but banging up and down status quo style and mm. um and that was it you wanted something a little bit more for me as I say seeing somebody like Dr Feelgood where Wilco Johnson you know like he's having an electric shock you know Rock that Set's is- their hit hitting it great song yeah Rock Set yeah that, that is a good song I saw
0: you the young- And this influenced Joe Strummer then to form the 101 because Joe Strummer's huge in America. There's a mural on the side of uh, Niagara Bar and Avenue A to Joe Strummer. Yeah, I've, seen it. I've seen it when I went over there with you, yeah. And so, if any Americans listen to this and come to London, the actual area for Joe Strummer is made available there. Interesting place that you wouldn't think has that much history.
1: Yeah, well. As far as the the Chippenham is concerned, the uh, the 101ers, that was Joe Strummer's band, and I thought they were a pretty good band. They were bell-bottomed and stuff, weren't they? They looked terrible. Right, you, you, right. you know, like they had no kind of style or fashion or anything. I mean, I've they, seen a pic of them. They look yeah, yeah, like choir
0: or something. They look
1: like squatters because they were squatters. Yeah. You know, they were squatting and walked in the road. There was, a, 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 it was some, just something like a Wednesday night, the Charlie Pig Dog Club, they called it.
0: There is, yeah. I've got it written here. So yeah. that's a Wednesday in February 1975.
1: Right, OK. You were there and, you know, there yeah. it is. You know. Yeah, I mean, this was it. I'd have a couple of pints downstairs and then sort of make my way up and it'd be like two bob to get in or something like that. And mm. uh, away we went.
0: I like pub rock, and it's weird. It turned. We've talked about the Who gig in '78, where the Sex Pistols came about and prog, mm. and um, but you were more pub rock, and I think I would be if I was around at that time. Did you see Elvis Costello as well? We bothered. I saw Elvis
1: Costello, and I thought he was pretty good. It, it was a little bit sort of like quirky, and he was trying to do the old um, Buddy Holly type look with the glasses and all of that. But mm-hmm. he did write some good songs, and I, yeah, I quite liked old Elvis. He wasn't on the same planet, I didn't think, as a live band as Dr. Feelgood.
0: Kilburn and the Highroads were good as well. Mm. And Fair Play to Elvis, he bought my wife's album because she's on his cover and uh, that was funny to see. (laughs) Um, All right, so that's Pub Rock and we're just going to end now that I've got a note about Slade. Because we'd gone into glam and disco. But I remember you telling me about seeing Slade at Wembley Arena. There's a bit of a red herring here. I remember you telling me a funny story about going to see Slade. and You don't remember? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) I I saw
1: Slade three times.
0: So they're a good, reliable, live, fun band in the 70s. Yeah. I mean,
1: I saw them first in the 60s. They were actually a skinhead band. Skinheads had just come out and all that, and they were wearing braces and bobber boots and all that. Fun band. Yeah. and I think that the crowd wanted them to sing reggae, but, of course, they just carried on doing their thing and ripped the roof off. They were fantastic. Mm. I saw them again at the Marquee Club you know, around about that sort of 70s time as well. Mm. And they were absolutely brilliant. And this was just before they sort of like got really, really big. And then I saw them again on a Sunday at... uh, Wembley Arena, 29th
0: of February, 1975. Was that 1975? I've got it on my... uh... Yeah. Unless they played it later, but I remember you telling me the story and it's Emily's favourite 70s band, Slade.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I (laughs) Dave Hill and all this weird fashion. And... Yeah, I had a mate called Murph and uh, we, we went, <laughs> we had a big party around my house in the afternoon. So we were like drinking all afternoon and we got on a bus. To, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think we were just getting a bus to go up to the tube ju- station, something like that. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm still not sure to this day whether Murph deliberately um, dived through the bus shelter window, or he fell. But he, he from went... From the bus? From the bus, yeah. He went straight through the bus shelter window. Why you would do that, I don't know. Um, but after treatment at hospital, he did he did eventually come to the gig.
0: So you went to the gig anyway? Yeah, yeah, we
1: went to the gig, yeah.
0: Is this the one where you ended up at the front somehow as well, of this Slade gig?
1: That was a different gig, actually. I think that was probably 1981, where... Um, we were at the Wembley Arena. Actually, it could have been. Uh, we just rushed to the front. They used to have commissionaires in those days. You, you know, all respect to them. They were ex-service uh, people or whatever, with their, with their medals and their their caps on their head. But they weren't like security guard gorillas or whatever. You know, they were just employed and they weren't there to keep unruly fans back. And, yeah, you just, like, rushed in and went straight down the front. And where's Murph? What's what's the end to his story? Do you know? I've got no idea. I haven't seen Murph for a long, long time. But but uh, he
0: made it out of the other end, just a few stitches. He He made it through. He was a funny guy. All right. All right, so the 70s. Did you go on any punk gigs that are notable or were not bothered? um yeah 25 6 now and that's all a bit juvenile isn't it or yeah
1: it it wasn't my scene I mean I used to watch the tv programs around about that time when they had these programs like revolver and and all of that and um I must say that that there's an awful lot of people that follow me on twitter that, that are real big punk fans but I just never really got it if I'm honest i did like the sex pistols i yeah. love that album yeah, ne- ne- never mind the bollocks i think it's a tremendous album Sounds great. Uh, but as far as all of the others are concerned i really just uh i don't know
0: don't get it all i'd take is the sex pistols and the jam myself yeah yeah jam were good as well paul weller was obviously writing songs and still is yeah all right so that's the end of episode two with my dad thanks for listening uh, you can check him out on twitter h Derek or was it just Derek. i messed it up last time Derek 485, check it out on Twitter We're going to do a part 3 which is going to be 80s and 90s For a preview for you we're going to talk about Bruce Springsteen at Wembley Stadium we can talk about Oasis at Nebworth, Britpop I'd like to
1: say hello to everybody in Brooklyn Because I understand there's quite a lot of people listening to us last time from Brooklyn
0: Yeah, biggest audience is in Brooklyn We've got a big audience in the UK obviously We've got a lot in the Far East, Korea and Singapore really? Yeah, a lot in California So yeah, thanks for listening Bonjour. Thanks to Dad.
1: Yeah, no worries. See you next time. (laughs)